KYW Original Podcasts. This past Monday, something happened at the University of Pennsylvania for the first time ever. Andrew Kramer's a reporter here at KYW News Radio, and we asked him to check it out. Monday night, I was at an Iowa caucus, and no, I did not travel a thousand miles to go there. They did uh, dozens of satellite locations this year, and Philadelphia happened to be one of them, so. I went to it. It was on Penn's campus at Houston Hall. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming out to a Philadelphia Satellite Iowa Caucus. This is very exciting. I mean, I'm a reporter in Philadelphia. Never did I imagine that I'd be covering a Iowa caucus. But when I found out they were doing it, I figured, why not? Let's see what this is all about. I knew it wasn't going to be as big as the ones that are actually in Iowa, but I thought it would be an incredible experience. And I was right. It was really neat. With that, I hereby call this caucus to order. You hear a lot of times that the the younger generation, the younger voters, they're not going to go out and vote. They're not going to participate. And you go to an event like this where it's all young voters who are talking, who've done their research, and you realize that they do know what they're talking about. And it really makes you wonder, is that what's going to happen in this election? Is it going to be the young people voting that really end up making a difference? This year, Generation Z and Millennials will make up nearly 40% of eligible voters. What does that mean for election 2020? This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. So people here in Philadelphia, pretty much almost anybody listening to this now is familiar with the primary where you go in, you vote for the candidate you want in Iowa. They don't really do it that way. Instead, they have a big discussion with one another. Other people's opinions and matter in this case, where there's the persuasion aspect. They all go together in one big room and they get to tell other people why they're voting for the candidate they're voting for. And if somebody's kind of on the edge, maybe they're not sure, maybe they have a few candidates, they get the opportunity to persuade them. And the votes aren't private. You raise your hand and you tell everybody who you're supporting. In fact, not even that, you hold up signs and say who you're supporting. Other people are welcome to come over and join. And this is their primary. This is how they handle their primary. First, I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, My name is EJ Carlson. I'm uh, an undergrad here at Penn. I'm helping out. I'm not an Iowan, but I'm strongly affiliated with the Democratic Party here in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I just want to uh, have a quick word from Jessica Anderson, the huge organizer of this. Honestly, if we could give her a round of applause. Be so I just wanted to thank you all for coming tonight. You know, when I applied to have a satellite caucus here, I was terrified no one would come. <laughs> and come you have. So that is, you know, check. Great. Thank you so much. When I was going into it, I was thinking three, four, maybe five people would be participating. I mean... I, I've been on the streets so many times doing interviews with people. I've yet to come across anybody from Iowa. So I was like, who from Iowa is going to actually be coming to this event? But apparently a lot. There were 15 chairs set up when we got there. 14 were filled with people taking part in this caucus, which 14 is well over twice as many as I thought were going to be there. And in addition to that, what also caught me off guard was the amount of people surrounding the caucus. Uh, spectators were welcome to come to this yes. event. Yes. I am from the Warren, I'm a volunteer from the Warren campaign. I'm not a voter. Okay. And not only did they come, they all came in their t-shirts of the candidate that they're supporting. They were holding up signs. They were cheering. There was one point before the caucus started that 
the people in the caucus got a chance to stand up, talk for a minute or two about who they're supporting and why, kind of like a last-second sway. Jessica, you're right at the front. We'll work front to back. Um, who would you like to speak on behalf of? Andrew Yang. Is there anyone else who would like to speak on behalf of Andrew Yang? Okay. Um, Jessica, you have the floor. The gentleman in the back, I forget your name. Who would you like to speak on behalf of? Uh, pardon me, Amy Globetrotter. Okay, is there anyone else in the room who'd like to speak on behalf of Bernie Sanders? But yeah, I put a lot of time into reading about them, watching the debates going across Iowa to see probably 10 or 15 different candidates the last year or so. And uh, tonight I'm supporting Pete. Uh, the first election I voted in, I, I may have not been as well versed as I should have been as I am now when I go to vote. And to talk to these young voters, many of whom it was their first time voting, these are current college kids, and to hear their answers, which were not just lame answers. I mean, these were well thought out answers. They really have done their research. They really understand what's going on. Uh, that, that was also a very refreshing surprise for me as well. But I guess like some of the, you know, more policy issues I'm concerned about is uh, foreign policy. I'm really interested in that. Uh, you know, the environment's huge, the economy. I'm a pre-med student, so I'm really into the health care for all. Medicare for all, you know, reasonable college tuition plans. I'm I suppose I'm a little bit biased on the, the whole college tuition uh, issue, um, so take that with a grain of salt. We're going to be the generation that has to deal with the effects of climate change, um, you know, our soaring national debt, um, and in rising inequality. Definitely the 18 to 22, some of them 23 uh, demographic. Uh, there were a couple people, though, uh, not students in the city, a couple people traveling from work. Uh, one of them, also a young voter I talked to, uh, he's 23, and then uh, there was a woman uh, who was a much, much older than these guys. She just happened to be in Philadelphia as well for work, so she took part. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is a big deal to Iowans, and, and it's very, this has been the, the best thing that they've done is to open up the satellite boxes, I think. Penn didn't actually host this event. It was held at Penn, but uh, there was Drexel students. We talked to one guy from Swarthmore, so it was all, definitely the majority was younger and among those young voters, it seemed to be mostly first-time voters, election. too. Yeah, first uh, caucus, like, actually voting, I went in 2016 with my parents um, just to watch. I've never done it before, so I think it's going to be really cool to see how the whole thing works, especially on a smaller scale. Yeah, so uh, I attended the 2000 and 2004 ones, so I dragged my parents to those and made them vote. I wasn't able to vote then, but I uh, made them vote for my candidates. Then. I think it's super important for young voters to get involved. I think a lot of us are disappointed. Um, the most important thing for me is beating Donald Trump. Um, by far. I think we need to uh, nominate a candidate who has a record of winning and who has a record of appealing to the types of voters that will need to win back to win back Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And I've seen a lot of my friends get incredibly involved and volunteer uh, and work for political campaigns. And it's really inspiring to me to see youth get involved. So, uh, you know, I think to write off the youth vote is um, misguided. The young voters that Andrew talked to at the Penn Caucus say this generation can make a difference at the polls this year. And millennials and Gen Z represent a lot of voting power. One in 10 of all eligible voters this year will be members of Generation Z. Add millennials to the mix and young voters make up nearly 40 percent of the electorate. Now, we know young people care about the issues, but what are the chances they show up at the polls? David Thornburg is the president and CEO of the Committee of 70. David, welcome to In-Depth. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Can you start off by first telling us about the Committee of 70? What kind of work do you do? Well, we are a longstanding uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that advocates for better government in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. 
And we've always been very interested in improving elections, in increasing turnout, in educating voters. We have a a world-class website, 70.org, that this last election reached over 200,000 people in the region. So we're very much in the game of uh, encouraging people to vote and giving them the tools to do so uh, well. So we know that young people make up a really big chunk of eligible voters this year. How are candidates responding to that? How are they tapping into that? Well, it's, uh, uh, it's a developing story, as you folks in the, in the business say. I mean, there's, uh, there's such volatility, particularly in the Democratic race right now. And then once we get to the presidential election, it's going to be a whole new ballgame. But, uh, you know, there's so many tools that candidates have uh, now. They can reach out uh, through social media and digital Obviously, in-person rallies, uh, events, uh, position papers, and so forth. So um, I I think at this point, there's kind of a mad scramble (laughs) among uh, the candidates, some more than others, to try to engage young voters. Because as you point out, it's a hugely significant uh, cohort of voters this time around. And the stereotype is that millennials and Gen Z, they don't vote, they don't engage in politics. Is that factual. Is that true? Well, I'm always a little cautious to uh, reinforce conventional wisdom because as some wise guy said, conventional wisdom sometimes is neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we've seen an extraordinary surge in turnout uh, in 2018 and 2019. There's going to be record turnout in this presidential race. I'm quite confident going on the record in saying that. And some good part of that is going to come from young voters, as you point out. I think for the first time in our history is, or at least recent history, is a larger voting block than the 55-plus crowd. So I I question that conventional wisdom that uh, young voters stay home or uh, just watch things go by. I I think this may be a new ballgame this year. And we have seen a lot of young people getting involved in the process that, you know, protesting climate change, going door to door. I've had I've had people knock on my front door. Um, The Iowa caucus at the University of Penn was organized by a 20 year old undergrad, that satellite location. And, you know, so historically, I mean, it's really a different ballgame how this younger generation is getting involved in politics compared to perhaps how their parents or grandparents did. Yeah. And part of it is we have to acknowledge the role of social media and the the digital tools that uh, young folks are are fluent in. Uh, That makes it easy to organize. You can do sort of pop up uh, rallies or protests or uh, candidate uh, watch parties. Um, So there's just a there's a just in time quality to the communications tools that again, uh, young folks are fluent in that give them an enormous power that their parents or grandparents just didn't have. Of course, the Iowa caucus has been in the news all week. What happened here? Let me just say, I I said this on Twitter a couple days ago, let's just take a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we we are so conditioned to this, we have to have results at 8.01 after the polls close. And frankly, that the news organizations feed this. And I just think, relax. You know, I will gladly trade accuracy and quality control for speed. And, and because, frankly, once the votes are cast, they're not going to change. So let's just relax a little bit. Um, 
Having said that, this was a disappointing showing by the Iowa Democratic Party and the whole apparatus that they have. They didn't test this app well enough. They were trying to keep it under wraps, so they didn't test it. Uh, Things go wrong. Uh, Anybody who's launched anything forever knows that. And the stakes were high, the light was on them, and they they disappointed folks. But, you know, uh, I think I read today that uh, Iowa contributes about 41 of the 4,000 delegates needed to get the Democratic nomination. So sit tight, relax, (laughs) there's much more to come. Well, that said, should Iowa be as important as it is? Should it be garnering all these headlines? Well, short, short answer is no. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I think there's probably 49 other states making this claim, but I'm sort of intrigued by the why not Pennsylvania go first uh, kind of line of argument. You know, a, a big, diverse state with urban voters and rural voters and suburban voters, uh, I think would be a much more sort of useful first uh, go at the, at an election than, uh, than Iowa with all its limitations. But, uh, you know, that's a question for four years from now. And meanwhile, you know, we've got New Hampshire, we've got South Carolina, we've got Nevada. I'm actually headed up to New Hampshire this weekend just as sort of a political tourist. I'm not a, we're a nonpartisan organization, but I'm kind of fascinated to see how uh, the candidates play out their game on the ground. I lived in New Hampshire. It's very, very interesting. It's a completely different animal. People up there really do pride themselves on being independent, independent thinkers, and they get involved in the process. Well, that's democracy at its best. You know, I mean, I think the value of the Iowa and the New Hampshire experience is it is retail level politics. It's a candidate sitting down in a diner. You know, the, I'm sure you know this from having lived there, that the voters expect to meet the candidates for president in person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not just they make the rounds. 15,000 yeah. people, but like, I need to walk, you know, meet that person on the street and give them a piece of my mind for a couple of minutes. So, so that's the sort of somewhere between charming and authentic <laughs> uh, experience that, that those states contribute to the process. It's authentic. There's a much different energy up there. It was really it was really pretty cool to experience that. Let's go back to Iowa for just a minute, if I could. Um, as I mentioned, there was a, a satellite caucus at Penn that was organized by an undergrad. Do you think that we're going to see, uh, you know, more things like that, satellite caucuses in this process as younger people get involved? Well, I mean, there's only so many states that use caucuses, uh, but uh, so that in and of itself limits them. But I, th- I think you're going to see uh, lots of different ways of students organizing themselves on campus by their, by their home state affinity or the issues that they care about. Um, and again, they, they have the tools to organize and communicate with each other. And, uh, you know, college campuses historically have been sort of very uh, enticing for candidates because there's such a concentration of voters but as you pointed out earlier, the, the challenge has always been converting that potential into actual votes, actual people, you know, showing up at the polls uh, and, and whatever. So, but I, I, I think, you know, given the stakes and given the tools that we have available, as I said earlier, I think this, this time may be different. David, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us from Miami. 
That's lovely down here, I have to say. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to be in for shock. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going from Miami yeah, to New Hampshire. Should be fun. It should be. Safe travels. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. See ya. Bye-bye. Well, figuring out an entire state turns out it's a lot more difficult than counting the results from 14 Iowans in a UPenn residence hall. And you can make some noise. Democratic process. So the people taking part got to get up and speak and kind of get their final push for their candidate. And after that happened, it was the uh, first alignment. That's where everybody okay. goes to a different part of the room. I am going to begin the clock. If you have a they sign, had signs move to, to hold up the with the last name of their candidate. And this was our first chance to see who is kind of supporting who. And they did get to walk around and talk you know, to the other people. But at this point, people pretty much had their minds made up. It was the first alignment. Dang, people! So, I mean, Bernie's really going to make sure we get money out of politics. So it's kind of like... You're trying to grab another person? Yes. <laughs> We're one away, so... Yeah. So after the first alignment, there was around five candidates who were chosen. You needed three to make it. That's because you need 15% of the vote. So that comes down to two and a half. So they round up in this case. So the only people who had enough in this instance were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Then everybody gets back and they got a chance to speak again for who they want to support. Yeah, Buddha Judge was my, my second choice. Your second choice? Yeah, yeah. And Warren's my second choice, I believe. Yeah, but yeah. I want to, you know, support Pete. So. Yeah. If, and it looks like we have a viable group now. So. All right, all right. I'll still give you a donut. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's what we're here for. I haven't had dinner, so I might take you up on that. And in this instance, uh, Pete Buttigieg, he actually got enough to become a viable candidate. So even though he wasn't selected in the first alignment, after the second alignment, he did have enough supporters where he got a delegate, Elizabeth Warren got a delegate, and Bernie Sanders was the winner of this particular caucus with two delegates. Um, Hearing no further business, the caucus is now adjourned. Thank you all for coming. KYW In-Depth is produced by Charlotte Reese. Our production coordinator is Ali Amato. Tom Rickard is the executive producer of KYW Original Podcasts. I'm Carol McKenzie. Make sure to subscribe to KYW In-Depth and help us get the word out by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.